a little while, and you shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me. In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. But by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Welcome once again to the Unchanging Word Bible Study, and uh, we are continuing in John chapter 16, verse 16, where Jesus and his 11 disciples are in Jerusalem just before he goes to the cross. Now, Jesus is teaching them about a coming day when he will no longer be physically with them, and, and in telling them this truth, he also tells them that they would have sorrow, but that in that day their sorrow would be turned to joy because of his resurrection. And in that day, their prayer life would change. In that day, they would be able to speak and pray to the Father himself in Jesus' name. But of course, all of this is all new to these dear disciples. And Dr. Mitchell discusses this perplexity of the disciples on how they did not understand what Jesus had said to them. And then Dr. Mitchell points out that the Christian's resources from God are plainly evident in these verses. We'll turn in your Bible to John chapter 16, verse 16 with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We come to you again, and we're in the 16th chapter of the Gospel through John. And we're reading from verse, from verse 16, and I would like to read right down to verse 22. For those of you who are listening in for the first time, or you've missed some programs, may I say that we're still in the Gospel through John, and we're in chapter 16, and we've been dealing in the past few lessons with our Lord, urging us that we might be so yielded to Him, so in fellowship with Him, so obedient to His Word, that we shall glorify the Father in bearing much fruit. Then in this chapter 16, He speaks of the fact that the Spirit of God is going to come 
to indwell his people. He will, first of all, in the chapter he speaks of here in chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, the ministry of the Spirit of God to the world is one of conviction concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and judgment to come. Then he speaks to the disciples concerning the fact that the Spirit of God would come to lead them into all truth. The greatest need of their hearts was an increasing capacity to know the Word of God, to be open to the Word of God, to understand the Word of God. Now, remember these men had spent over three years with the Savior. Just think of traveling with the Savior day after day for three years or more. And yet have the Lord say, there are many things, many things I want to talk to you about, but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Personally, I believe that this is answered in the epistles, in the writings of the, of the apostles. You go on down to Romans, right on down to the book of Revelation, all the way through, you have the Spirit of God teaching the Word of God through his servants to the world, especially to his people, the church. I say that because uh, I really believe that the greatest need among evangelical Christians today is an increasing capacity for the Word of God. We claim to believe it, but we know so little about it. We claim to trust the Savior and love the Savior, and yet we know so little about him in our everyday experience. Oh, God grant to you and to me an increasing capacity for the truth, and shall I lay an en say an enlargement of heart for the Savior. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us with an everlasting love. Why can't we love him? And as dear John could write in the epistle of John chapter 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Or you take chapter 3 of the same epistle, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. Why? It didn't know him either. Now, starting in in verse 16 of chapter 16, we follow through right down through verse 22. Just briefly, a word about this because it has more or less to do with the, with the perplexity of the disciples. A little while, verse 16 of John 16, a little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what in the, can I use my own terms there? What in the world is he talking about? What is this that he saith? A little while? We can't tell what he says. We don't understand him. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow. 
but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Now here we have in these verses 16 to 22 the perplexity of his disciples. He's been teaching them, as we have said, from chapter 13 on through 16. He's been teaching his disciples to comfort them, to enlighten them concerning what he's going to do for them and with them and through them. And now he says something that really perplexes them. He says, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you for a little while. And when I leave you, the world will rejoice and you'll be full of sorrow. And then I'm going to come back to you and your joy will be filled full. And yet they couldn't understand. A little while, you'll see me now. But you'll see me in a little different way the next time. And out of your sorrow will come joy. You remember in John 20, verse 20, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Say, Then he illustrates in verse 21 of the 16th chapter, a woman, when she's in travail, She's in sorrow, she's in suffering. Uh, but when the child is born, she she forgets her sorrow. She forgets the pain and anguish through which she went. She has great joy because she's given birth to a baby boy. So the Lord says, I will see you again. Now you have sorrow, but I'll see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man shall take from you. Now, this could be, in a few hours, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be put in a tomb and buried. And you remember the disciples said, and I quote from Luke 24, we had hoped he would have restored Israel. See, when the Lord Jesus was crucified and buried, their hopes were shattered. They were looking for a, a glorious kingdom on earth, a materialistic kingdom on earth, when Israel would be the leading nation of the earth and the Lord Jesus would reign over the whole earth. They were thinking of the prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah and so on, where you have these amazing promises, prophetic utterances by these prophets. And now he's on a cross. Now he's in a tomb. He's buried and sealed in the tomb. Their love for him didn't change. Their trust in him didn't change. It was their hope that was shattered. It was filled. And when a person has no hope, you know, they're, they're down. When you lose your hope, you haven't anything. A hopeless person is in a very, very, very sad condition. So with these disciples, and yet he promised them a reunion of more far value than an explanation of why he was leaving. As I say, it could mean the time between the cross and his resurrection. For us, for us today, I would say it's concerning his return. Right now, believers go through times of tribulation. In the world you shall have tribulation. Or as Paul could say, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When a person really accepts the Savior and is transformed, uh, you don't have to give up your friends. They'll give you up. That's the hardest part. When I became a Christian, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to give up my friends who oppose the gospel and rise the life out of me. The hard thing was when they gave me up that I found I had some pride. So down here we have tests and trials, misunderstandings and so on. But when the Lord Jesus comes for his own, that'll be the end of it. 
and will be in his presence with us fullness of joy. Do you remember the 16th Psalm, the 11th verse? In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So you have it here. Uh, right now, you're going to be full of sorrow. But your joy is going to be when I return or when I'm raised from the dead, whichever one you want to take. Your joy will be filled, for as I said a while ago, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, and no one took their joy away from them. Even when you read the book of Acts, and they were persecuted and beaten with rods, they went back and they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. And I must say this, that here in America, we Christians in America know nothing of this intense joy which one must have when they're suffering for Christ's sake. There's a joy that's divine. And there's an experience here that only comes to those who suffer for his name's sake. I am sure that that the Christians in China or in these parts of the world, in Russia, parts of the world where they will not allow you to have worship services for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you, and the church is underground. I'm sure that they're having some experience with God and the presence of the Savior that you and I have never had here on earth. And our Lord here says, when I'm gone, you're going to be full of sorrow. In chapter 16, he said that time's going to come when men who kill you will think they do with God's service. And they do it because of their ignorance of God. But the time will come when your joy will be filled full. As I said here in the 16th Psalm, the last verse, verse 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Let me go on. Now from verse 23 down to verse 33, you have our Lord's encouragement to them. In verses 23 to 28, you have their resources. Now he instructs them regarding their privileges and their resources. And may I just say here, the first time I really had this passage made real to me, although I had read it many times, but it brought to me in a question of my prayer life, uh, waiting before God, it did something that I never had before. Listen to it. In that day, the day when the Spirit of God indwells you, in the day when I leave you, verily you shall ask me nothing. Very, very, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father." You will notice in one, two, three, four, five, in, in six verses, he mentions the Father six times. I want you to mark here something. What our Lord really is doing, he is informing his disciples that they have the same access into the presence of the Father that Jesus had. He's informing them 
that they can come at any time to the throne of grace, any time into the presence of the Father, and stand before the Father in all that Jesus Christ is to the Father. Now, I want to try and make this very simple to you. The way it got a hold of my heart, the thing that I can come in the presence of God, and I stand in the presence of the, of the Father just as the Lord Jesus Christ himself stands. Notice what he says. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. Verse 24, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. In verse 26, in that day you shall ask in my name. What do you mean by that? Now that doesn't mean just tacking, tacking his name to your prayer. See? Let me first of all say this. Our access into the presence of God is based on the ground of redemption. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Uh, we're no longer children of wrath, but we're children of God. We've been brought through the work of Christ into a real relationship with the Savior. We are the children of one who is God. He's our Father. I can say, Abba, Father. He's my Father. This is a relationship. And on the ground of what we are in Christ, on the ground of what he's accomplished for us, we can come right into the very presence of God. But now what about praying? I said a moment ago, it's not just tacking his name to your prayer. When you and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that we stand before God in all the merit, in all the righteousness, and all the standing of the Savior himself. Whatever you ask in my name, in my name, he's my living representative. And when you and I are dealing with the living God and we stand before him in all the righteousness and beauty and merit of Christ, as Ephesians 1, 6 says, we are accepted in the beloved. I'm telling you, a great many of our prayers will go out the window. Your mouth will be sealed to bring before God some things that you had because what you were going to ask was on yourself. You're praying in self-will. You're praying for yourself. But when you remember you're standing in the presence of God, can I put it this way, and I say this reverently, you will make your request even as if the Lord himself were making the request. It is not that Jesus takes your request and he presents it to the Father. I don't think that's in his mind. You see, well, that's what I've been taught. Well, it may be. Well, let me go further. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it you. You ask the Father in my name. I come back to it. We come right into the very presence of God on the ground of redemption, on the ground of relationship. And we stand before him in all that Christ is, as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself were making the request. Now, I'm sure that you and I will agree that if the Lord made the request, it would certainly be answered. We have no question about that, do we? But when you make the request and I make the request, we've got a question mark in our mind that the Lord will answer. I'll tell you one thing. We come before the Father. He's our Father. You can say, I can say, 
He's my Father. And when we come into his presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm repeating this, I want it again to your own heart, you stand before God in all the merit of the Son of God. But on what ground does he answer our request? This is the staggering thing. Now listen to it. In verse 26, At that day you shall ask in my name. I do not say that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you love me. Upon what ground then does the Lord, does the Father meet our need? Now he's talking about requests. Remember this. He's dealing with requests. And most of our praying is asking for something. No question about that. The Lord knows that. On what ground does the Lord answer our request? You say, on the ground of our faith. Jesus doesn't even mention it. Jesus doesn't even mention it. Except the fact that we believe that he came out from God. Upon what ground do you expect God's going to answer you? On the ground of his love for you. Look at it. I do not say I will pray the Father for you. Well, I thought the Lord was praying for us all the time. Ah, you've got Hebrews 7.25 in mind. Hebrews 9.24 in mind. Or 1 John chapter 2 in mind. Where our Lord is our intercessor. He's our representative. He's our advocate. That's when we say he prays for us because of our frailty. He represents us before the Father. He advocates us when we sin. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about requests. And I make my request in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I make my request on the ground that I stand before God in all the beauty and merit of Christ. Now, upon what ground will he answer my request? Will he meet my need on the ground that he loves me? On the ground that he loves me. Now remember, allow me to give you an illustration. John 17, 24. Jesus, the only time Jesus ever made a request. Now remember, we're talking about requests. It's the only time that Jesus ever made a request. What was his request? Father, I want something. That everyone whom you've given to me will see me where I am in my glory. Now, upon what ground did Jesus expect that request to be answered? What was his request? That everyone who loved the Lord Jesus Christ would see him in his glory. Upon what ground did he expect the request to be answered? Listen to it. Because you love me before the foundation of the world. On the ground of the Father's love for Jesus, the Lord Jesus expected his request to be answered. Now bring it down to us in this passage. You and I make our request. We enter his presence on the ground of redemption. We make our request in the name of the Lord Jesus. We stand before the Father in all that Christ is. And then he answers our request because he loves us. You know, friend, that absolutely transformed, changed, shall I say, my praying. My praying, a great many things that I was going to pray for, I don't pray for. When I come in the presence of God, am I praying? Is my request for the glory of God? 
It's my request that the Father be glorified in the Son. It's my request that the Lord Jesus be manifested among men and women. One could go on and on. I tell you, when I realize I stand before God and all that Christ is, I begin to, I begin to think, now, will my request be for his glory? Will it be for the salvation of souls? Will it be for the edification of his people? Will my request be for those things which pertain to him and to his work? I'm going to repeat this my next lesson. I want you to get this clear in your heart because I want you to know the tremendous, the tremendous place you have in the economy of God. To think you and I can come in the presence of the Father and make our request as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself were making the request and he'll meet the request because he loves us. Because he loves us. And may the Lord bless you today. And may your own heart be filled with his joy and with his peace. And the Lord bless you for his name's sake. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in He was there. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.